well as our, uh, our Cactus Campus and our venue across campus and then our chapel next door join us for a time in the Word. We're uh, going to pray in just a minute and uh, turn there. You know, um, I've been back a few weeks now and uh, we're, we're heading into what is arguably my, my favorite season of all time, fall. I, I, I've always loved fall as a kid growing up in the Midwest. Uh, I really grew to love fall when I moved here to the desert 10 years ago because it's the end of the summer heat. Are you guys, are you guys like awake? It's end of the summer heat. And uh, so come October, we're going to cool off a little bit and that'll be nice. I like fall as well because uh, it's the start of a ministry season for our church. Uh, many of you come back from uh, summer being away, vacationing, what have you, and we, we ramp things up as school gets into play and other things. And so uh, your connection catalog uh, shows that, that we're doing a lot more this fall to help connect you to God and each other and, and as a church. And, and then I, I, I got to be frank, one of the reasons I love fall is because it's, it's football season. And uh, I'm a big NFL fan. In fact, I put my Cleveland Brown socks on today as I, uh, you know, was coming to church. And I, I, I'm a diehard Cleveland Brown fan, which means that I, I know how to lose really well. Uh, you, you learn to do that if you like the Browns. Who knows? They, they might have a better season, but uh, probably not. And so, uh, but I still love watching football. And that's good for all of you. Some of you are clock watchers. You, you know, especially at the 11 o'clock service, you want to make sure that we get out, uh, you know, within 75 minutes. And, you know, here's what you need to know. For the next three months, I'll be watching the clock with you. And so, and I'm preaching. And because uh, I want to get home for those one o'clock kickoffs. But having said that, we're here to worship God and we're here to look to his word and we're here, as we're going to see today, to try to find some, some meaning to our rather mundane lives. You'll see what I mean by that in a minute. So let's do this. Let's bow and pray and then we're going to jump right in. God, we're grateful for uh, your grace and your mercy, your goodness, your faithfulness, as we're going to see in a little bit, even your truth that you have so shared with us uh, graciously in history and even today. I pray, God, that as we open up your book now and we uh, talk intelligently but passionately about it, I pray, God, that you would speak to our minds and our hearts and that, God, there would not be one of us here or at Cactus or at Venue or at Chapel or watching online that would escape the, the meaning and the truthfulness of what it looks like when you are smack dab in the center of our lives. So that's my prayer. I pray you would do that among us now, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, there, it's coming right now. I'm going to write something on the board here in a minute that I'm going to see if it'll stick against the wall, if it's something that you and I can resonate with, if it's something you and I can relate to in our lives, because it's something that was brought home to me again this summer, and you'll see why in a minute. And so for those of you who like to fill in the blanks, man, we're going to dive right in. These are the blanks that you're going to fill in. And that's it. I would submit to you that the average person in America, the average person in the Western half of the world, on any given day in their lifestyle, is caught somewhere between what I want to call the mundane and because of our modern world, the materialistic. I would submit to you that that's the... I'm not writing very well, uh, that that's the, uh, 
that, that where most people are caught today. Uh, somewhere between a mundane, cyclical, very predictable life in their daily world and, and then a, a rather life that's focused on a lot of material stuff. I'm not judging this. I just want us to all try to get our heads and hearts around this and ask ourselves, is this true for our nation and maybe even for my life and those around me? I spent the summer in a small town in northern Michigan, Kim and I did, where my family's been going since 1947, way before I was born. And, and the place that we spent at was typical small town Americana, uh, you know, a, a town that has a post office and a, and a grocery store and a couple of, uh, of novelty shops and then a ton of churches. You ever been to the Midwest? And there's six churches in this town. And as I observed life in this town over the summer, I, I, I noticed that many people vacillate between this mundane, materialistic uh, life. Uh, there are teachers and plumbers and craftsmen and small shop owners. And I watched them all summer long go to work and then come home and then eat dinner and then watch TV and then go to sleep. And then they'd wake up the next day and what would they do? Go to work and then come home, eat dinner, watch TV and sleep. And and, and then I noticed a couple of things about this little town that we're in. There's this one store that I think says it all. It was called the Corner Store. Can you guess why it was called the Corner Store? It sat on the... You guys are really smart. Yeah, it sat on the corner. And uh, so they called it the Corner Store. And, and you walk into this store and it just kind of tells you everything about this town because it only had three things in this store. And that was it had a lot of alcohol, like three rows of booze. And then after you walked by all the booze, it had an entire row of DVD movies. And then when you got done walking past those, there was pizza. And that's like this, what this town is into. They're into their booze and their movies and their pizza. It's a rather mundane existence. And to be fair, I get it. I've been to this town in the winter. It's in way northern Michigan. And they average 111 inches of snow every winter. That's over nine feet of snow and it's cold. And it seems to start as early as October and it doesn't end till like June. I mean, it's just cold there a lot. And so they, they fall into that, that little mundane rut. And then again, don't, don't ever kid yourself. Even middle-class towns in America are just as focused on the material as everybody else. I, I, marvel, I actually love this about the Midwest. I, uh, some of you who are from the Midwest will get this right away. But, but, but in small towns in the Midwest, everybody is selling something on their front lawn. You ever notice that? <laughs> I, I mean, it's actually, I, I love it. I mean, I, I'd be driving into town, and i say to Kim, that guy's selling an old moped on his front lawn. You know, that guy's selling a tractor. And, and I'd start to turn around, and Kim goes, we're not buying a tractor. She goes, we don't need a tractor. I go, yeah, but it's fun. And, you know, you guys would sell stuff on your front lawns too, but your HOA won't let you, let's be honest. <laughs> but this entire town, and I would suggest much of America is caught somewhere in any given day between the mundane and the materialistic. And here's my point today as I bring you and I into it. I also believe that every human being made in the image of God is also trying to find meaning. Can you own that with me today? I mean, we might be caught here, but the reality is, is that our souls are hardwired to ask ourselves, is there something more to life than just getting up and going through the motions? Is there something more to life than just the corner store? Is there something more to life than just selling stuff on our front lawn? 
And some of you are saying, well, we don't have a corner store in our town and we don't sell stuff on our front lawn and all that. But yeah, you know, Phoenix is different. One could argue that maybe in Phoenix and Scottsdale or wherever you guys might live, we're a little bit more sophisticated. But as I thought about you guys this summer, as I was in the Midwest, I thought, you know what? Uh, we swap booze, movies, and pizza for the wine store, Apple TV, and oregano's. That's all we do. <laughs> a- am I right? I-, I mean, honestly, you guys might not go to a corner store because that would be kind of redneck, but no, you, you, you just go to the wine store and get yourself a nice bottle of wine, and, and then you go home and watch Netflix on your Apple TV, and then you say, hey, let's order out from oregano's. And you feel like, you know, you're, you're more maybe a step up, but the reality is, is that that's a rather mundane existence. And again, you, well, maybe I don't need to convince you that we're just as materialistic as the rest of the nation, right? I mean, again, you know, we don't put stuff on our front lawn. We go to Fashion Square, Kierland, Scottsdale Quarter, and Tempe Marketplace. We don't buy tractors. We buy nice cars. (laughs) We don't go to flea markets. We got Pinterest. Uh, And again, I mean, we've swapped them for other things, but I guess what I need you to see, because we're going to move into the Word of God here in a second, is that I think. I believe, and I know my own life is this way, is that if I'm not careful, it's really easy to fall into a rut somewhere between the mundane and the materialistic. It's really easy for my life here in America to get, to get into a rut in which I'm going through the motions, doing my thing, and before you know it, there's times where my head is about to hit the pillow at night, and I wonder, I think just like the rest of people who are normal, is this it? I mean, is this really what is supposed to soothe the ache in my soul? Is this really what life is about? And again, we've baptized it really well here in the Southwest. We got good life bumper stickers and we got sayings like you don't have to shovel sunshine and all those other things. But at the end of the day, I would submit to you that that's just all part of that mundane materialistic thing, as nice as it might be. And I promise you, The vast majority of people around you in their more somber, quiet moments are asking themselves, is there more? Is there more that can bring meaning and purpose to life than just this? And what's the answer to that? Yes. And here's what I need you guys to hear today because I realized it again this summer. You and I, as followers of God through Jesus Christ, are the carriers of the meaning that so many people are looking for. And what they want from you and I is an intelligent answer to what maybe they can't even verbalize, but what their hearts are looking for, and that is where and how do we find meaning in this world? I called this message 3M. You might be able to figure out why. Mundane, uh, materialistic, and meaning. And my question for us is how do we have a 3M kind of life that blows through the mundane and the materialistic and finds meaning and purpose in what we do? That begins to quench our thirst, that scratches where we itch, that finally answers the question that most normal people ask, and that is why am I here? Where do I come from? What's this all about? Where am I going? Because you and I, have intelligent answers to that. We have workable answers to that. And I believe we live in a culture in which when the question is asked right, people are looking for answers to this meaning issue. You know, what I want to give you today, because we're going to take off from here right now, is really what I would consider a 21st century apologetic for a biblical worldview or a biblical Christian faith. Uh, Many of us think apologetics today is about, you know, defending uh, Christianity maybe against Darwinian evolution or defending against the onslaught of secularism or, you know, sharing the four laws of somebody. Those are all good and fine. 
But the reality is those are really not the questions the vast majority of people in culture are asking. But I promise you, if you can start to have a discussion with those around you about their mundane and materialistic life, because they're all stuck there, and then ask them, what do they think brings meaning and purpose to their lives? That is something that the average person made in the image of God is interested in. And again, you and I have some thoughts, some very clear thoughts that might be helpful. So here's what I want to do. I want to spend the rest of our time in one chapter in the Bible, Hebrews chapter 13. So if you brought a Bible, open up to Hebrews 13. It's toward the end of the New Testament uh, between Philemon and James. If you didn't bring a Bible, obviously we'll put it up here on the screen. And the book of Hebrews is a fascinating book. We should study it sometime as a church. We actually don't know who wrote the book. It's one of the few books in the Bible where the author is nameless, but we know it's inspired by God. So God ultimately wrote it. And the author in this book is in a very theological way going deep into the Old Testament, to the Old Testament sacrifices and and law, and showing how God was at work in all of that leading up to Jesus Christ. So for 12 chapters, it's this rich, deep theology of the Old Testament linked to Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 13, the author does what every other New Testament writer does. They get really practical and personal in the last chapter. Kind of like what you would do if you wrote a letter. You might be writing a letter to your kid telling you how proud you are of him and all that. And then as you start to wrap up the letter, you kind of get more intimate and personal uh, with the person you're writing to. The New Testament writers did the same thing. And chapter 13 is all about the things that matter most, the things we should never forget, the things that we should prioritize in our lives. For our purposes today, chapter 13 is all about the things that will bring meaning to a mundane, materialistic life. And when you look closely at this chapter, you will notice three overriding themes that the author highlights, three things that are all about finding meaning in life. And the first one, you probably already have guessed. I mean, it is the Bible that's writing this, but let's not do a drive-by on this. The first thing the book of Hebrews is going to say is that a life centered around God has the power to break us out of the mundane and materialistic and into the meaningful. But let's be really clear, because what the Bible and Hebrews means by God is not God in a general, subjective, vague sense, God as you might picture him to be. No, it means God as he has revealed himself to us. Now watch this, specifically in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, it's God as he has come to us. God as he has revealed himself to us. God as he has made himself known to us. That's the God of the Bible. That's the God that will bring meaning. And so again, I'm going to jump around in Hebrews here. Somebody said to me after the last service, that you kind of jumped around. Well, yeah, because we're trying to to make some points here. But look at how verse 8 says it as it broaches the subject of God. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today, and yes, forever. Now, now what is that saying? That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, right now, and forever. Here's what I believe it's saying. Uh, Break it down. First, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, meaning when he came to this earth as God incarnate, as God come in the flesh, the second of the person of the Trinity breaking stride 
from all of eternity to take on a human form and come to this planet. And why did he do so? He came to bring you and me back to the Father through his death on a cross for our sins, through teaching us what God is like and what the Father is like and what the Holy Spirit is like, he brought us back to the Father if we will but trust in him. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. And then he's the same today. Because after he did all that stuff yesterday, he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father, interceding on our behalf. You gotta love that one. That means every time you mess up, which is like daily, every time you mess up, uh, God doesn't say, well, they did it again. I hope someday he gets his act together. Uh, no, God looks to Jesus and says, he messed up again. And Jesus says, I died for that one. That's atoned for, that's covered. And God says, you're right. <laughs> and so you have pure connection to God because of Jesus Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, and then what does it say thirdly? Forever. But what does that mean? That simply means he's not gonna change. He's eternal. He's never been made. He's never gonna die. He's the second person of the Trinity of Almighty God. He's the same. In the midst of your very chaotic, always changing, tumultuous and turbulent world, he's your one constant. He is God come for you. That's the God that we serve. And you see, once you understand that, once you understand that God has revealed himself in Jesus, who is the same yesterday, day, and forever, then, now watch this, all the ways that the Bible talks about how we need to relate to God and interface with God on a daily level begin to make sense and begin to take you out of the mundane and the materialistic into the meaningful. And I'm going to give you a rapid-fire staccato here right now, but this is essentially what Hebrews 13 lays out in, like, all different ways. But look at some of the other things it tells us in Hebrews 13 based on this understanding of Jesus and God. It says, pray for us. It's so simple, but think about it. Prayer really is an amazing, profound activity, isn't it? I mean, prayer is you talking with God. And God, who loves you, listening to you and hearing you and responding to you, that's prayer. And your neighbors think you're crazy. Your coworkers think you've gone off the deep end. In their nicer moments, they think you live in la-la land because of that. But you know better. You know that because of Jesus, who was the same yesterday, today, and say it with me, forever, hears you when you pray and answers you when you pray. And that pulls you out of the mundane and out of the materialistic smack dab into the middle of the meaningful. And then look at this verse. This is another thing we're commanded to do as followers of Jesus. Verse 15, through him, meaning Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. So when you come to church, and presumably you come to praise God, or when you're driving down the 101 and having a bad day and you turn on some Christian music so that you can praise God, please know that's a profound, meaningful, amazing activity. You're connecting with heaven in that moment, all because God is central in your life. 
But look what else it will say. I told you I'd give these to you fast. Uh, think of serving. You know, we tell you guys to serve all the time, but please know we don't tell you to serve out of obligation or duty. We tell you to serve because it's a very meaningful activity. Verse 21, to equip you in every good thing to do his will. You ever equated your serving with that, that you're doing the very will of God? working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so when you do things in the name of Jesus to pour into other people and to serve Almighty God, please know that's not a mundane activity. Many of us see it like that, and that's sad. All of heaven is cheering when ushers ush or when greeters greet or when children people hold children in our children's ministry or teach them the word of God or help them with the craft or guide a teenager. Think of all the things that we do to serve him. That's not mundane. That's God empowering us to do his will as he changes lives through that. It's meaningful. And then very quickly, look at all the other things he promises us as we center our lives on him. His constant presence. He says, never will I desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Give me a next click here. He promises us his help. He says, we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can anybody do to me? And then all of this results in peace. He says in verse 20, now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, Jesus our Lord. Link Jesus here with peace. I mean, let me ask you, because we're gonna move on here in just a second. Let me ask you a very honest question that even the, the radical skeptics among you here today, I want you to answer this question, if not aloud to yourself. Would a walk with God through Jesus Christ a walk that entails constant conversation through prayer, thanksgiving, service, constant presence, help, and peace, would that kind of walk have the power to bring meaning and purpose to our mundane and materialistic lives, yes or no? I think so. Again, maybe some of you really skeptical people might say, well, I don't know. And again, I, I want to say, take this kind of lighthearted, <laughs> If you're tempted to say, no, I got nothing more for you. I mean, don't leave. Please do still come back. But I've been doing this for 35 years. I know what it's like to fall into a mundane, materialistic existence, even as a follower of Jesus. It's such an insidious trap. And I get there more often than I'd like. But what has the power to pull me out of that? Into the realm of the meaningful? God rightly understood as coming to me through Jesus Christ, whom I interface with through conversation, thanksgiving, service, constant presence, help, that eventually brings peace. The first thing on God's priority list that brings meaning to our lives, don't miss this gang, is himself come for you. Now, as you're chewing on that, there's a second thing that Hebrews 13 delivers up to us that can bring meaning to our lives. And again, I just warn you, this is going to sound so simple, but, but it's rather profound, especially in light of some of the answers that our culture and world give to the idea of what brings meaning. And, and here's what the second thing the Bible says we should be focusing on, and that is people. People. You know, if you just scoured New York Times bestsellers or... Amazon.com's books or the daytime talk show hosts and, and ask the question, what is it that brings meaning to our lives? Do you know where our culture and world would start? Tell me this isn't true. They would say the first thing you need to do is care for yourself. 
And they would. I mean, self-care is the be-all and end-all, and you don't take care of yourself, you can't care for anybody else, and so you gotta first make sure that you're happy, that you're centered, that you're okay, and, and then once you do that, they would say, and make sure you have security, and your kids are turning out right, and your marriage is okay, and your vocation's good, and, and all of that, and, and, and then they would say, uh, after that, maybe focus now on others, and, and those around you, and other people that, that, that you are in contact with, and then as a third thing, they would probably say, uh, and make sure you have some kind of spiritual life. I'm just trying to be fair. They, they would probably bring that in at some point. Oprah would bring that in. Dr. Phil would bring that in. They would say, have some sort of spiritual life. But what's interesting is that the order of those three things, self, others, and spirituality, is completely reversed by God. <laughs> God says, no, don't start with yourself. That'll just depress you. Start with me. And once you have me in place, now watch this. He says, then don't move on to self because it'll be tempting to do that. No, move on to people. And what is God's logic? Now, now don't miss this. His logic is that because people matter to him, and he means all people and all kinds of people, they should matter to us. And because people next to the Trinity, next to God himself, are God's priority, they should be our priority as well because that's where meaning is found. I want you to show you the first four verses of Hebrews. Again, I know I'm doing this all out of order, but um, there's an obvious reason why here. Um, it, it's fascinating when you read the first four verses how it, 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 it's hammering home to us this priority, this focus on people. And as I read this, notice all the different kinds of people that are put before us. The author says, let love of the brethren continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without even knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for fornicators and adulterers God will judge." And so just in four verses there, I think you caught it. I asked you to try to catch it. And you have love of the brothers, which means love of everybody in your church and other Christians. You have hospitality to strangers, which means that anybody that comes your way, any stranger that comes into your life, show hospitality to them because it could even be an angel trying to test you there that someday you'll realize what was actually an angel. Uh, then it says to, to show, to visit prisoners and I find it fascinating. It doesn't say prisoners who are in jail because uh, they were found guilty but really weren't. It, it says to visit prisoners, meaning people who are presumably guilty for doing bad things. Focus on them. Uh, focus on the ill-treated. It literally means the maltreated, those who are, who are under persecution and injustice, the wrong, uh, have injustice invoked against them. And then I love it. It doesn't seem to fit, but it makes sense. Uh, focus on your marriage, honoring and loving and valuing it. It's fascinating. We don't have time to look at it, but verse 16 actually tells us to, what to do with these people. It says we're to do good to them and that we're to share with them. And the idea is our, our, our tangible, materialistic assets to, to share with those in need. And then it says in verse 23 and 24 how we're to care for these people. We're to take notice of them. That's a direct quote. And we're to greet those that God puts in our lives. Hey, do you get the, the sense of priority here? I mean, it's all over this chapter. God is saying, all people matter to me, all kinds of people matter to me, and hence, if you want to find meaning in your life, 
follow suit. After you've cemented me as the center of your existence, now get other-centered, get selfless in your daily walk and start focusing on the needs of others. And as you do this, something's going to well up in your soul. Something's going to start to happen in your life in which you're going to find purpose. You're going to find the peace that you've been looking for. But it's not going to come through looking inward and being introspective and all about you. It's going to come from focusing on others. And here's what you simply need to know, gang. Christians have been doing this. I know it sounds like I'm always being hard on people. I'm not. Christians have been doing this for thousands of years now in all different kinds of cultures. And when they do this, two things happen. One, their lives are more meaningful. And the onlooking world that tends to doubt everything we do and see us as hypocrites finally has nothing to say. Because they look at us and say, well, I guess they really do walk the walk. I guess they really do talk to talk. I guess they really do pour into other people in a way that we don't see very often in culture. Uh, many of you might know, some of you might know the name Nicholas Kristoff. Uh, Nicholas Kristoff is a two times Pulitzer Prize winner. And, uh, and, and writes mainly for the New York Times. I know some of you, that's your favorite newspaper, the New York Times. And he, he also, they, they laugh more than the nine o'clock crowd. But they, uh, he also is a regular, maybe this will work. He's a regular commentator on CNN, some of your favorite news uh, stations. And, and again, I know, again, you, you might not like the New York Times or CNN, but Nicholas Kristof is, is more of a moderate, maybe liberal guy. He's, he's very mainstream, very intelligent, and quite frankly, tries to be very fair. And when he first started writing for the New York Times back in around 2000, he wrote an op-ed piece in which he was talking about Christians that many people tend to make fun of. He had been one of those, at one of those high society New York cocktail parties and people were mocking evangelicals, you know, and saying, ah, they're just a bunch of hypocrites and right-wing nutcases and all this other stuff. And and Nicholas Kristof, who travels all around the world and has seen more than most people ever will, uh, took issue with that. I want to read you from this op-ed piece directly what he writes. I think this is important. He says, in reporting on poverty, disease, and oppression, I've seen things different. Evangelicals are disproportionately likely to donate 10% of their income to charities, mostly church-related. More important, go to the front lines at home or abroad in the battles against hunger, malaria, prison rape, human trafficking or genocide. And some of the bravest people you meet are evangelical Christians or conservative Catholics, similar in many ways, who truly live their faith. He says, I'm not particularly religious myself, but I stand in awe of those I've seen risking their lives in this way. And it sickens me to see that faith mocked at New York cocktail parties. <laughs> Don't you love it? I mean, he's essentially saying, yeah, I guess you can clap for that if you want. But, but he's essentially saying that as he observes you and I and our brothers and sisters around the world, and as we get out of ourselves and focus on those in need, he notices that and finds something incredibly what? Meaningful about that. 
You see, I don't know anything. I don't have any idea what the fruit was of all of that and if he became a Christian or whatever. I, I don't know. All I know is that he writes an op-ed piece for millions of people to read that basically says these people live what they believe. They walk the walk. They talk the talk. And it's because, I need you guys to see this, it's because God and then people are what matter to them most. And you see, the world looks at that and it's hard for them to have a negative criticism of that. Are you starting to see why this is such a powerful apologetic? Because when we do that, <laughs> it's bound to help people see God in all of that. I'm not gonna talk much more on this right now, but I want you to know I'm very proud of our church in many ways here. You know, once in a while, somebody will say to me about Scottsdale Bible Church, they say, yeah, that's that upper middle class rich church, you know, with all the nice Mercedes and B&Ws in the parking lot. And I'm like, yeah, that's us. And, uh, you know, that, that's the church. You, you got the right one. And, and, and then they're kind of snarky about it, you know. And then, I, and then again, I have to be careful that I'm not a braggart because that's not humble. And, uh, but I, but I, I try to weave in and say, yeah, you know, let me, um, let me tell you a little bit about what these people do. And let me tell you about the two dozen relief organizations and ministries that have been started by this church, some of them now having national prominence over the last 50 years. And let me tell you about how a third of the money donated to this church eventually makes its way actually very quickly to outside the walls of this church. Uh, let, me, let me tell you about our benevolent fund that you know, it was really a cash offering done once a month. We're going to do it today uh, after they've already given a regular offering. And yeah, we give away about three or $400,000 directly to those in need. Now, let me tell you about the 3,000 people out of this church that serve on a regular basis, many of them outside the walls of this church in places like the Barrio and Neighborhood Ministry and Indian Reservations and Tanzania and other places. Yeah, that, that's that church. You're right. There's a lot of Mercedes and BMWs in there. Uh, but they also are a pretty broken group of people who don't read their own press releases. And, and they do, they're a rabbit about God and they have a rather conservative theology, which is good. Uh, but they also deeply love other people and they want to help in any way that they can. You see, I'm proud of what a lot of you and what a lot of us have done as a church. I, I think we're on the right track. I just want to make sure we continue to keep this as the focus because there's a lot at stake. A lot at stake is people are searching for meaning. And so you got God in the form of Jesus. You got people in the form of others. And then before we go to our elder fund offering, notice me a third thing that the scriptures, specifically Hebrews 13, uh, includes here in a, in a search for meaning. And again, this is gonna switch gears fast. And I gotta warn you, if you thought, well, this really offends a lot of people, this third thing. But, but it's crucial for any meaning seekers today. And, and here it is, it, it, it's truth. I, I'm telling you, this, this right here is the perfect trifecta to find meaning within God, people, and truth. But like we did with God, where we had to be clear on what we mean by God, let me just take a second here before I even read the scripture for you and, uh, and, and make, let's make clear what the Bible means by truth because it's very different than what our culture means by truth. Our culture, which, you know, again, is kind of crazy. What they mean by truth is truth that is both relativistic and, uh, and truth that is pragmatic in nature. What, what does that mean? They believe that truth, first pragmatic, is discerned by what works. And the way that our culture defines what works, and you've all heard this almost every day, is that which makes you 
happy. So I hear it all the time. You know, I'm on a plane, and, and it happened to me this summer. I was on a plane going to a conference, and, 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 and there was this wonderful gal from Nevada on the plane next to me, and she was kind of talkative, but the conversation stopped drastically fast when she asked me, what do I do, right? And, and as soon as I said to her, I'm a pastor, I, I could see every wall go up, and she looked at me and said what so many people said. She said, well, that's nice. As long as you're happy, that's, that's what these responses. Because she has been taught in her pursuit of truth that, 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 that something is true if it makes you happy, if it pragmatically is good. So that's why we, we live in the, the culture we live in. Uh, but that kind of truth is also very relative. And what I mean by relativistic is that it might be true for Sean over here, but it's not necessarily true for Scott. So, so it's truth as you hold it to be true. That's the way that our, our culture responds to truth. Now watch this, because I think this is powerful. Uh, the Bible blows both of those things out of the water. The Bible says that truth is something that is mostly ideological in nature, meaning that it is truth derived from God's word in the form of principles and propositions and values declared by God, clearly understood, it's ideological in nature, and it is truth that is absolute and universal meaning it doesn't change over time. It's not true for people in China, but not true for people in the United States. It's true everywhere, anywhere, because, and this makes sense, it comes from God. And so truth that comes from God is ideological by nature. It is absolute in orientation. And that makes our world just a bit uneasy because obviously it's, that's pretty hardcore. Uh, but this is the way the Bible presents truth, and it's what will bring meaning to our lives. Uh, look at how verse 9 of Hebrews 13 states this. It's kind of cryptic, but you'll see how this makes sense here in just a second. It says in verse 9, do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. Now, i got to ask you a question. When they were reading this for the first time 2,000 years ago, if they had their thinking caps on, they might be wondering, well, how can we know what is varied and strange, Right? In other words, you say don't be carried away by varied and strange teaching, teachings, but, but, but what tells us what is varied and strange? What's the, what's the barometer? What's the yardstick? What's the basis? What's the standard for that which is varied and strange so we can discern that? And what's the answer to that? The Bible. I mean, the Bible was being written at that time. The canon was coming into formation at that time, but it would eventually become codified in the Old and New Testament as giving self-testament to coming from God. And this is our source for what is true. This is how we discern that which is varied and strange and that which is not. And again, it's ideological and absolute in orientation. And so please see, the reason the Bible includes this is that for people seeking meaning today, they're going to find meaning in God as understood through Jesus. They're going to find meaning in other, pouring into other people and prioritizing people. But without this third thing, then they're really not going to find the other two. Because truth by its very nature is out there to be discovered, but its truth is found in the word of God for our very lives. And again, I'm proud of Scottsdale Bible Church here. We've got to wrap this up here real soon. But, you know, one of the things I love about our church is that for 55 years, and many of you know this, we've not shied away from the truth at all, right? I mean, it's why we're called Scottsdale Bible Church. We preach the Word of God. 
unashamedly and hopefully clearly and in a way that makes sense for our lives. And we offer to our community this same truth. Again, we gotta be careful. We don't wanna be arrogant about it. You don't, please don't go up to your neighbor tomorrow and say, you know what? Truth is ideological and absolute in nature and I wanna help you find it. If you do that, they probably won't be interested in that. Uh, but if you do have a conversation with somebody and they wonder, why do you have joy? Why is there a smile on your face? Why does your marriage seem to be okay? Why are your kids turning out semi-good? Uh, if they wonder, why, why are these things happening in your life? Why is it that you seem to be at peace? Who are you talking to when you're walking through the neighborhood there and seem to be talking to yourself? I mean, but when they ask you these questions, I, I think it's really humble. And I don't think it's too threatening to say, you know, I, I, I've thought about it over the years and it sure seems that God <laughs> and pouring into other people and, and, and discovering truth that comes from his word has really made the difference for my life. It, it really has brought meaning to what could be a rather mundane, materialistic existence. I just don't think that's too threatening to the culture around us. And it's true, and it does justice to, God, to, 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 to God's word. You know, we've talked about today, I, I know the risk I ran here, and that's that this stuff isn't rocket science. And this is stuff that many of you maybe already know. Uh, but part of the journey of the Christian life is to put that which we already know in, in, into such a way that it becomes communicable, that it becomes transferable to those around us. And I can promise you by way of closing that you have people in your lives that are on a treadmill of a mundane materialist existence. They think everything's fine, but someday the bottom's gonna drop out, the thirst is gonna get too great, the itch is gonna get too strong, and they're gonna wonder where's the beef? They're gonna wonder where the meaning is. And listen to me, Christian, you here today, Cactus and Venue, Chapel, those watching online, you guys have what Jesus called the keys to eternal life. <laughs> you have the understanding of what God and focusing on people and focusing on truth can do to the trajectory of somebody's life, your life. And as we go into this fall, my favorite season, by the way, as we go into this fall, let's deliver up to people what their hearts are really longing for. And let's see what God does with that. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Father God, um, I'm so grateful once again as I am every week for your word that you've given to us. Without it, God, without your truth, I would have absolutely nothing intelligent to share with these dear people. But God, you have given us your truth. You have given us your son, Jesus. You have given us those around us people. And you've asked us to make those the sources of a meaning-producing life. And so, God, I pray that as we each give thought to our own lives in light of that, as we go out of here after our Elder Fund offering today and focus on what meaning might look like both for us and those around us in light of these three things, that, God, you would break us out of the mundane, break us out of the material stuff, and, God, propel us into a life of excitement and joy, purpose and strength as we find our sufficiency and satisfaction in you. That is my prayer. I pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. And the church says together.